if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to start with Galatians chapter 5 and verse 18. We're speaking in, in this series about principles of walking in the Spirit. And I'm going to speak a little bit, we've been speaking about the fruit of the Spirit, and I'm going to do a bit more about that, before we then move into how to be led by the Spirit prophetically uh, and on a daily basis. And um, last week we spent some time looking at the uh, uh, walking in the Spirit and being free from the law, and today I want to spend a little bit more time on that, on the fruit of the Spirit. So if we were in uh, verse 18 of Galatians 5, but if you are led by the Spirit... You are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of angers, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. You see, the thing about the Christian life is it's not about outward rules and regulations. I mentioned this last week. I said that in the New Testament, what we had was two groups of people. On the one hand, we had the Pharisees. And on the other hand, we had what we call the sinners. And the Pharisees, they were the ones that were doing all the right things on the outside. But Jesus hardly had a good word to say about them, did he? On the outside, they were like uh, clean and whitewashed tombs, but on the inside, they were dead men's bones. And so the Pharisees in the Sermon on the Mount, they were doing all the right outward things, but for all the wrong reasons. And Jesus dismissed their outward righteousness because their hearts were rotten. Yet at the same time in the New Testament, Jesus spent time and focused on people whose outward life was a mess. The Pharisees' outward life was, a, was all sorted, it seemed, but their inner heart was a mess. And, God, and Jesus went and spent time with the prostitutes, the tax gatherers, the people like Zacchaeus. He said, I'm going to have a meal with you tonight. People couldn't believe that he was going to have a meal with a sinner. Because in those days, to have a meal with a sinner was to, to affirm what they were doing. And, but you see, Jesus, he was looking at the inside. He saw something in Zacchaeus' heart and he connected with it. And so Jesus would often go to people on the outside who were a real mess. I mean, look at, look at the, the disciples that he chose. What a weird bunch. I mean, if we were senior leaders in a church, we would never have chosen any of those to come on our team. Uh, because outwardly, they were a right mess. They're always arguing, always, you know. But Jesus saw their hearts. The Father sought their hearts. So even though they were a mess on the outside, Jesus knew there was something on the inside that if he could connect with and, and speak to, that out of that heart, eventually the outwards would, would line up. And this is important because when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit here, we're talking about things God does a work on the inside out. It's not about laws and regulations, do's and do nots. It's about what's going in your heart. And you know what? If you have the fruit of the Spirit, these types of characteristics, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, I don't need to tell you what you should be doing, what you shouldn't be doing, how you should change that attitude, how you should do this, do the other, do the... Why? Because these characteristics will flow into your everyday life. 
It's not about a list of what you should do and what you shouldn't do. That's not what Christianity is about. It's about a work of the Holy Spirit in your heart. And we see contrasted here in Galatians 5, the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. Flesh and spirit, earlier on, it talks about walking, verse 16, walk by the Spirit and you not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires or energies or passions of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires and passions and energies of the Spirit are against the flesh and they are opposed to one another. Now, last week, and I want to take you back there again, I need to build on this. Last week, we spent some time in Romans. And uh, Romans is a very important book, obviously it's in the Bible, but it's very important to what we're talking about today. And I just want to take you through a few themes that I mentioned last week. I want to take you through a few themes today. Not go into depth, but just a few themes. Because in Romans chapter 6, sorry, Romans chapter 5, 6, 7 and 8, there is a progression. And what we find in Romans uh, 5, 6, 7, 8 is really, we're talking about such themes as the flesh, the law, and then eventually walking in the spirit. And it dovetails with what we've seen in Galatians. Now, what we see in um, chapter 5, verse 12 onwards, is a picture of um, what we were like before we were in Christ. Would you two gentlemen just come up on the platform for me? Just come up on the platform, I won't embarrass you. And last week, anybody here last week? Do you remember in, in Adam, in Christ? Let me just do that. Just come up and, and, and stand here. Let's welcome them. There you go. You stand there and, and you stand there. Wonderful. Now, what we're seeing, and you can read and go into depth in this de- later. I'm just doing broad paint strokes today. Is that in chapter 5, um, verse 12 onwards, we're having a comparison. A comparison between Adam and Christ, okay? And so you're Adam, and you're a picture of being in Christ. And if you read chapter 5 onwards, it basically teaches you this, that before you became a Christian, before you were born again, you, like every human being except Jesus when he was born, were in Adam. So when you read chapter 5, the second half, it talks about in Adam. When Adam sinned, we all sinned. When Adam was condemned, we were all condemned. Whatever happened to Adam happened to us. Why? Because he was the head of humanity. And in a sense, we were all in him at the time. The whole of the human race was in Adam. So when Adam fell in the Garden of Eden, we all fell in Adam. So before you're a Christian, you are in Adam. You're in the fallen human race. And everything that happened to Adam happened to you. He fell, you're fallen. He was condemned, you were condemned. Everything that happened to our great, 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 great grandfather, whatever, Adam happened to us. His disaster, his fall was our disaster and our fall. It's right there. Then also in that, it then compares Christ. And it talks about us being in Christ. One of the greatest themes of the New Testament is the fact that we are in Christ. And what does that mean? It means that when you 
trusted and put your faith in Jesus for the first time, a miracle happened on the inside. You were born again. You became a new creation on the inside. The old has passed away. Uh, you are a new creation, the Bible says. And so this is what happened. The moment you truly believed, you were saved, and you were translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And from that moment that you truly believed, you are no longer in Adam. You are in Christ. Romans 5 speaks about Now, what does that mean to be in Christ? Well, now because I believed and by faith I'm in Christ, that means that everything that happened to Christ happened to me. All right? And everything Jesus did, he did on my behalf. Do you know everything Jesus did, he did for you? He didn't just die for you, he lived for you. He was obedient to the Father on your behalf. He obeyed the law on your behalf. Everything Jesus did, he did for you. And what happened to Jesus has happened to us. So now, instead of being in Adam, we are now in Christ. And we see this because then out of Romans 5, we come into Romans 6. Just, just stay a little bit longer. And, um, and it talks about this. It says that we have been, uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 3, do you not know that all of us who have been immersed into Christ, that word baptized, that's the Greek word, but it really it should be translated immersed, but they've, they've kept the word and it makes us think of the ritual of baptism. Fair enough, but the word is just a word that says immersed, placed. So we are in Christ. Do you not know that all of us who have been immersed into Christ were immersed into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by immersion into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For we have been united with him in death like this. We will be united with him in the resurrection like this. So what this is basically saying is that we are in Christ and that everything that has happened to him has happened to us because we are in him. We're righteous before the Father. Why? Because we're in Christ. Thank God, God doesn't look at your or my own personal righteousness. That would never be acceptable, would it? But because I'm in Christ, he looks at Christ's righteousness. And whatever, whatever is Christ's is mine. So if Christ is righteous, in him I am righteous. And then it goes on to say something a little bit more. It says, now we know that our old man, in verse 6, our old man was crucified with him in order of the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we might no longer be slave to sin. Just before I get into that and, and let you take your seat, um, last week I spoke about the fact that just because we're in Christ does not mean that Christ is being manifested in us. Being in Christ is our position before the Father, but it's not always our experience. We're in Christ. In Christ is your justification. It's your status before the Father. But what we want is not only to be in Christ, that's a safe place to be, but we want Christ in us. Paul prayed for the Galatians. They were in Christ, but they were getting back into legalism. And he's saying, I'm going to have to pray again that Christ will be formed in you. So this is important for us because I said when it goes wrong with a Christian, what tends to happen is this. 
is every Christian is totally in Christ. Every Christian, whether they realize it or not, are in Christ. Whatever's happened to Christ has happened to you. But the question is, where is your mind? The big question for Christians today is that we need to become who we are. The Christian life is simply a journey of self-discovery. Finding out who I am and then living it out. I gave you the story of the prince and the pauper, which was a great uh, theatre and film production. Basically what happened was two babies were born, two boys were born at the same time. One was a prince, one was a pauper, a poor boy. Somehow they got mixed up. So the pauper was being brought up in the king's house and the prince was being brought up in abject poverty. At the end of the story... The prince finally returns to the household. But now he's so used to having no food, having no authority, that he doesn't know how to act. He has to learn how to be a prince. He was always a prince, even when he was acting like a pauper, but now he's got to learn the ways of a prince. When we become a Christian, we have to learn the ways of what it means to be in Christ. And that comes by the renewal of the mind. Catching up with what's already happened by grace. The problem with the Christian life is this, is that you're not in Adam. You're not in Adam anymore. You, you, the old man has died. You're not in Adam. But the problem is, if this fist is your mind, is often your mind thinks as if it still is. Your mind has to catch up with what's happened to your spirit. The renewal of the mind. The mind, Romans 8 says, the mind set on the flesh is death. But the mind set on the spirit is life. And so, this is, this is, like, this is so important. Any problem that you're facing in, in your own life, any problem in growing in God, is, it will be because your mind is thinking too here. You're thinking like you're still in Adam. Now, when you were in Adam, if we look at Romans 5 in depth, you'll find this, that in Adam, who reigned? When Adam fell, sin, Satan, and then condemnation that would also come by the law reigned. So, sin reigned and all died. And so, in Adam, before you were saved, sin is your taskmaster. We'll see this in Romans 7. The devil, the prince of the power of the air, according to Ephesians 2, that works in the sons and daughters of disobedience, he has power over you in Adam. And you are condemned. And ultimately, when the law came, it just showed you how sinful you were in Adam. But the moment you believed, you're free from, you're free from the power of sin. You're free from the power of Satan in Christ. You're free from the condemnation of the law in Christ. And now what reigns is grace. Grace reigns. Now that doesn't mean that you take grace for granted. Chapter 6, having said, now that you're in Christ, grace is reigning. It says, well, um, it says, what are we say? Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? And the answer is no. Don't you know that you have died to sin? You're no longer in that realm, that kingdom, where you have no choice but to be dominated by sin, Satan, and the Lord. Now you're free. Now you're grace. Now you don't have to live like that. But the problem is, is our mind often still thinks in the same old patterns. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Let's uh, encourage them. Your, your mind 
still lives in, the, in, in, in these patterns. And when we come to this, we, in verse 6, we know that our old man was crucified. What is the old man? What is the old man? There is tremendous confusion in the Christian world today on what the old man is and what the flesh is and what the sinful nature is. You see, often, and I used to think like this, you know when we were in Galatians and we were talking about the flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit wars against the flesh, often people will say, ah, this is your old man, the flesh. This is your sinful nature and your old man and your sinful nature is fighting against the new man and the spirit, and there's a war inside of you, the old man fighting the new man, and there's a, and there's a, and there's a battle. In fact, the NIV has, for it, throughout its history, um, um, translated the word flesh as sinful nature. Sinful nature. So the NIV, in its newest version, it actually translates the flesh, flesh, but then in the... Um, uh, margins, it says, which means sinful nature. Wrong, wrong. The flesh is not your sinful nature. The NIV has got it wrong. It's not your sinful nature. So you say, well, can you help us with some of these um, terms? Yes, I can. We know our old man, verse 6, was crucified. What is your old man? Your old man is your sinful nature. Your old man is your sinful nature. Your old man is not your flesh. So your old man is your sinful nature. Your old man is not your flesh. You say, well, how do you know it's not your flesh? Because it says your old man was crucified, buried, dead. So your old man has passed away. Shall I tell you what your old man is? The best definition when we say your old man. Your old man is everything you were in Adam. It comes right out of chapter 5 where we've been speaking about Christ and Adam. Your old man is the old you. It's the dead you, the spiritually dead you, dead in your sins and trans, transgressions. The old man is who you were before you were born again. But when you were born again, there was a new man and the old man is gone. Buried, it's finished. You are no longer that. Now, your mind needs to catch up and realize that the old man has been buried. And sometimes you hear people going, Oh, I'm having trouble with the old man. I'm trying to, and I'm not talking about my father. I'm, I'm having trouble with the old man. I'm trying to crucify the old man. How can you crucify something that's already dead? You digging it up, it's dead. How can you crucify, how can you put to death something that's already dead? One of the keys to freedom is to know that that old you is dead. Ah, uh, yeah, but I still think like I used to do. That's why you need the renewal of the mind. I still think in those same patterns. Your mind needs to be renewed. Your mind needs to be changed. The mind set on the flesh is death. But if your mind is set on the new man and the, 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 the spirit, it's, it's life. Now, therefore, what is the flesh? What is the flesh? This is a key question so that we know how to walk in the spirit. Well, it's here. We know that our old man, our old nature, our sinful nature, our old man, everything we were in Adam, 
Our old man was crucified. Jesus died, I died. Thank God I died. The old me died. The old man died. The sinful nature died. He died. When he died, I died. Amen, because I'm in Christ. That the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Now, let me explain that term. Have you ever read Romans? I hope you have. And you come across this uh, body of sin and, uh, and um, don't present your members to sin. Verse 13 of chapter 6, v- verse 12 of chapter 6. Let not sin reign in your mortal bodies. And you see this, this sort of like mortal body, members of our body, um, body of sin. You see this phrase in Romans. Have you ever thought what it means? It means, it's another phrase for the flesh. The flesh. So the flesh is the body of sin or the members of your body. It's your body. The flesh is the body. Now, let me explain something here again. Because your physical body is not sinful. Hear what I'm saying? This is very important. Very important. Your physical body is not sinful in itself. I mean, if the physical body was sinful, why would Jesus come and be made flesh? If the physical body was sinful, why would God heal it? If the physical body was sinful, why would God feed it with bread? No, no, your your, your physical body is not sinful, but it is weak and susceptible to the power of sin. Let me explain this um, uh, a little bit further. You have been saved, you are being saved, and you shall be saved. Okay? You have been saved, you are being saved, and you shall be saved. Let me unpackage this. Which bit of you has already been totally saved? Your spirit, you are born again. You're not half born again. You're not in the process of being born again. You are born again. You're not becoming a new creation, aren't you? The old has passed. You are born again. You are a new creation. Your spirit is as as born again as it can be. It can't even sin because it's the perfect part of you. You have been saved. You are born again. Amen? You are being born again. Which part of you is being saved? Your soul, but I'm going to use the word mind. And that is referring to your mind is being renewed. In other words, on earth, what the Holy Spirit and the Word of God is doing is trying to renew and get that salvation in your spirit to flow in your mind. So you think saved. You react saved. You respond saved. Your mind thinks like God. Your mind is set on the things of the Spirit, set on the Word of God, your renewed mind. And, and how holy you are is dependent on how renewed your mind is. You're getting your mind out from this old thinking. That's why Ephesians says, put off the old man. It doesn't mean that the old man's not dead. It means get it out of your mind. You're a new creation. You're a prince, a princess. So you have been saved. You're born again. You're going to heaven. That's eternal salvation. You are being saved. We can cooperate with this. Let's get our mind washed. Let's get our mind renewed. Your mind is in the process of being saved. Which part of you hasn't even been touched with salvation yet at all in any way, shape or form? Your body. 
Well, thank God for healing, but even those that Jesus healed still died. Even those that Jesus raised from the dead still died. Your body has not been touched with salvation yet. I mean, I, I mean, when you got born again, that night you gave your life to the Lord, did you wake up looking like a glamour model, ladies? Did you wake up looking like Arnold Schwarzenegger in his prime gentleman? No, you look just the same. Well, maybe you had a smile on your face, I hope, because you got saved. But you just look just the same as before. And for those of us that have been saved for a few years, uh, we're not getting any younger, are we? Outwardly. We're getting a bit older. And so the body is not saved at all. But one day, it's going to be raised from the dead. So I say all that because now we come back to this phrase, the body of sin. Remember, there is nothing sinful about your physical body. Nothing sinful. God wants us to love our bodies. We're told to care for our bodies. In fact, how can your body be sinful when Paul says it's the temple of the Holy Spirit? So have we all got that in our minds? Say after me, my body is not sinful. My body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. But my body is weak. That's what Paul is talking about when he talks about the body of sin or your mortal body. He's saying that there's, there's, your body is weak because it's not saved. And what does this mean? It means that how does sin try to influence your life? How does it try? When it can't do it through your spirit, you're born again. But what it does is it tries to get into your mind through the desires of the body. The desires of the body. What do I mean? Well, the desires of the body, or bodily desires, or physical desires, are many. And those desires are not sinful in themselves. What sort of desires are we talking about? Well, we're talking about desires, not only uh, sexual desires, legitimate in marriage, but we're also talking about desires for comfort, appetite for food, but also all those desires that God has placed in us that were totally fulfilled in the Garden of Eden. So the desire to love and be loved, the desire to be accepted, the desire to be worthwhile, the desire to have impact, all these things were how we were created. All these human desires and aspirations were not, are not wrong in themselves. The problem occurs that in a weakened body, and certainly when we were in Adam, that what happens is those legitimate desires of the body become blown out of proportion. So, if you look at people's problems, both in the world and in the church, you will find that in different people and different things that people struggle with different aspects of sin, don't they? So, with somebody it might be they really struggle in sexual things or pornography or something like that. What, what does that mean? It means that the legitimate, there's nothing wrong with sexual desire in its rightful place. But somebody who struggles with pornography or, or sexual things, what's happened is that legitimate desire has been blown out of proportion and now dominates their lives, correct? Or somebody that, um, I don't know, that has a desire for impact. You know, we all, we all have a desire of being worthwhile, of having impact in life. So if someone struggles with, with this, what can happen is they can have such a desire 
to, to have impact that they begin to um, get jealous of other people. Or they, they begin to be control freaks, or, or they begin to be out of control. You'll know they'll work 24 hours a day, not even say hi to the wife or baby. Why? Because they're going to get to the top of the tree in their profession. And so what can happen is um, uh, the, 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 the desire for progress or ambition. Ambition. You see, ambition is a good thing, but can't it drive people even to an early grave? It is a legitimate desire placed in our hearts by God, but ambition out of control becomes the flesh. All right? Same with appetite. Even appetite for food can get out of control. The desire for comfort can get out of control, where people just, just want to live for pleasure, hedonism. All these things I'm mentioning are there in the, in, in the works of the flesh, aren't they? That we read... You've got anger. Where does anger come from? Anger comes from the failure uh, when you consider that other people are blocking what you want. Now, what you want might be legitimate in the right measure. I want impact. I want success. I want respect. Nothing wrong with those things. But when they dominate you, you get out of balance. So the way that the flesh works is that it works in the body, the weakened body, and those legitimate desires, sin tries to take those legitimate desires and cause them to dominate you, okay? So you are not in Adam, but you are in Christ. But what's happening now in Christ is is that, great, I'm born again. My mind needs to be renewed. But what's happening is, my desires of the body, all the legitimate desires of life, all the things that we as Christians and non-Christians look for in life, all legitimate, all put there, but look for, and they're dominating our lives, or, or we're getting out of balance in our lives, that's the flesh. It is legitimate desires, bodily desires, physical desires, out of control. Right? So, when you look at the flesh, it's out of control. And it works in different people in different ways. And so here it says that the old man was crucified in order that the body of sin, or that phrase, or we might say the flesh might be brought to nothing. I think in the King James Version it says destroyed. Anyone got King James? It says destroyed. It's not talking about destroy. You can't destroy your body. That's not... No, actually, the word is rendered powerless. Rendered powerless. So in other words, the old man in Adam, when you became born again, it died, it was buried, it's not you anymore. And because of that, you, are no, long, you no longer need to be dominated by passions out of control. In fact, now that your old man has died, because when, when you're in your old man, when you, before you were a Christian... When you were an old man, in your old man, in Adam, everything you were in Adam, you had no choice. You had no choice. The, the flesh controlled you. Romans 7 will, will say, when you were in the flesh, speaking about that as shorthand for when you were a non you had no choice. You say, well, some non-Christians are nicer than Christians. Yes, but it, it, the flesh works in many, many ways. In fact, the flesh, one of the greatest works of the flesh is religiosity. Do you know that? Religiosity. And anyway, the flesh defined is 
The flesh is everything that is against God. If you were to talk about what the flesh is, sometimes the flesh can just mean your human body, can't it? Um, uh, and and um, uh, what, what, what is and, and the Holy Spirit will be poured out upon all flesh. That's just your human body, isn't it? All flesh is as grass. That's just talking about human beings. And so, but even that word flesh there about human beings shows the weakness of human beings, yes? But there's another way of using the flesh, and that is the principles of appetites and desires that are out of control and controlling so that we're out of balance. Now, when you're a non-Christian, however religious you might be or so-called moral, your life is against God and his Christ. So even if you do good things, it's not for God, it's not acceptable. The whole orientation of your life is against God. I'm going to show you what it's like in a minute. And there's nothing you can do about it. But when you died to sin, died to condemnation, died to the power of Satan, now, now that the old man has died that was under the power of these forces, now you can render the flesh powerless. That's what this is talking about. And how do you do that? Well, I spoke about a little bit this last time. You don't do it by focusing on the flesh, focusing on the negatives, focusing on the outside like a Pharisee. No, you start by cultivating the fruit of the Spirit. Kindness, peace. That's how you deal with it. You set your sails to the wind of the Spirit and the passions of the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit, and you become carried along by Him, His passions, His desires, His, his nature, and His characteristics. They're wind in your sails. You don't focus on the flesh, trying to do better, trying to do that, trying to do that, because what you'll do is you'll set your, wind, your sails to the flesh. The more you focus on the flesh, the more the flesh will dominate you. The more you focus on Christ and his spirit, the more influence he will have. That's why in Romans 8 it says, um, um, oh, where is it? Let me find it. Verse 5, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Now, when you were in Adam, you had no choice but to set your things on the mind of the flesh. That's all you had. Because you didn't have God's spirit in you. You had no choice. to. That's who you are. You set your minds on the flesh because that's who you are. You're in Adam. You're fallen. But when you're in Christ, now you can set your mind on the spirit who lives within you. You say, well, what about your mind? This is the point. Don't keep your mind set on the flesh. Don't keep your mind where you... Get your mind and say, get back here where you belong, where you belong. Then, so we've got that in Romans 6, and it expands a bit more on that. And it says, don't present your body, don't present your body to the flesh. Don't present your body, your faculties, your abilities, your members, your mind. Don't present your body to sin, because you've died to sin. Because if you present your body to sin, it's just like you're back at square one again, but you're not, you You've died to all that sort of stuff. And so it expands a little bit, a little bit 
on that for sin will not have dominion on you, over you, verse 14 of chapter 6. Sin will have no bit dominion over you. That's no power, no rule over you because you're not under law, but you're under grace. You've left that nation of being in the flesh. You've taken that flight to a new nation with new principles. Then in chapter 7, I won't spend too much time, but I do want to say there. Chapter 7, it begins by saying that we are no longer as Christians under the law. And it uses in chapter 7, the first, um, uh, four, uh, first four verses, it uses the analogy of this. It says that when you were in Adam, not only were you under the power and rule of sin, not only were you in the flesh, and, and your mind was on the flesh because you were in the flesh, not only was Satan now able to rule over you, but also you were condemned by the power of the law. The law came, took a look at you in Adam and said, bad, 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 wrong, 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 here are the standards set for you, and you could not reach those standards. Not in Adam, you were fallen. The pass mark, the grade set for you in Adam was 100%. And there was no leeway. And you couldn't reach it. The law came and condemned you. The law told you even more about the things that you shouldn't do. And, and the more you learned the things you shouldn't do, something inside you said, I'd like to do that. This is the way the law works on those that are under the law. It's like if you take a child... And you put them in a sitting room and you put a TV in front of them and you say, I'm just going to go out for 10 minutes. Just enjoy CBBs or whatever on TV. Just enjoy yourself. You'll be all right. It'll be 10 minutes. Yeah, no problem. Okay, you go. They watch TV. They cu you come back. It's fine. What you didn't mention to them was up on the shelf was a, a, um, a, a jar of biscuits and sweet. You didn't tell them about the jar. They didn't know about it. It's just a jar. They were watching TV. Now imagine you come in and say, oh, I've got to go out for 10 minutes. Oh, by the way, you see that jar there? What? Oh, no, I hadn't noticed. Yeah, that jar is filled with chocolate digestive biscuits or whatever you like. It's filled with them. But please, they're not for you. And so I'm, I, I'm asking you, please do not take any of those biscuits. See you in 10 minutes. Exactly. What's going on for those 10 minutes in that child's mind? What is going on? And, it's all, and whether they take the biscuit or not, what is going on in that mind? In, in other words, that's what the Lord... If you hadn't told them, they'd merely be watching. Now you've told them, they're thinking, hmm, maybe, oh, I, wonder if the, I wonder if Bruce counted how many biscuits there were in there. That's the way that the law works for those that are under it. And so at the beginning of Romans 7, it says that you, you have died to the law because you're no longer in Adam. What does that mean? It means that, and it gives the illustration, it's right there, chapter 7, it says, when a man marries a woman, they become one flesh. And nothing, and what God has put together, no, may no man put asunder. However, when the husband or the wife die, that marriage is dissolved. And now that man who's a widower or the woman who's a widow is free to take another husband or wife. And he is saying this is exactly what happened to you with the law. When you were in Adam, sin ruled and reigned. You had no power over it. 
Satan ruled and reigned. You had no power over it to fight back. And the law came and condemned you. But when you were born again and you were in Christ, now you were divorced from your relationship with the law. You're free. And, and, and it says in Romans that Christ died to the law, you died to the law. Christ fulfilled the law. Do you know that? He got 100%. The law was looking for one person that could fulfill its demands. Jesus did. The law was looking for somebody that they could say, I can find no fault in them. I cannot condemn them. And it was Jesus that did that. But because we're in Christ, whatever happened to him, happened to us. Jesus fulfilled the law. We fulfilled the law in him. Jesus took the exam of the law and gave us the grade. It doesn't get any better than that. And then the rest of Romans 7, we looked at that last week, is a picture of, of someone doing their best under the law. And they're struggling with their passions and they're struggling with their flesh. And the, the good that they want to do, they can't. And the bad they don't want to do, they do. And, and who will deliver me from this miserable body of sin? Now that is a picture of you when you were in Adam. Actually, it's a picture of Paul when he was in Adam as an unsaved Jew trying to be righteous by the Lord. That's a picture of his old life. So often you read Romans 7 and people think, that's me. That's my experience. I, I teach in Bible school this course, and this, a lot of this comes from my book, No More Law, a study on Galatians. And I'll be teaching this in the Bible, and I'll have taught them all about being in Christ and being free from the law and not under the law. And I'll taught them a lot more than I've mentioned today. I'll say, you're no longer under the law or the power of condemnation. You're not under the law. You're free from the law. You've died from the law. Jesus, paid, uh, Jesus took the exam and you got the grade. And then I say, let's read Romans 7. I say, and I give them an exercise. I say, I want you to read Romans 7 right through. And I want you to describe the condition of the person in Romans 7. And I want you to answer me the question, is this a Christian or a non-Christian? So they read it, but they soon forget the first bit of Romans 7 says you're not under law. You've not, no relationship with the law. The marriage is over, my friends. And they read that, but it doesn't go in their minds. And then they begin to read Oh, I didn't know what sin was till the law came and, and the law came and, and, then, and then, then sin used the law to inflame passions and I wanted those biscuits from the biscuit jar and the, what I wanted to do, I couldn't do it and I was so in slavery, it's not even me that's doing it but sin within me. I mean, Paul says that in Romans 7. Can you believe this? It's not even me that's sinning. It's sin in me. That's a slave, my friend. When you don't even have power to control your life. When you say, it's not me sinning, it's sin in me. He wasn't saying, don't blame me. He was saying, I am, be I am possessed. If I can use that phrase. I'm possessed by sin. It's not even me doing it. There's a force, a power. Because what I want to do, the force, the power of sin won't let me do. And what I won't, won't, don't want to do, the force and the power of sin makes me do. Who will deliver me? From this weak body. And then he says, praise be to God. Because that is a picture of when you are in Adam. But let me tell you, it's a close picture to somebody who's in Christ, but mind is not renewed. 
You're thinking like you're in Romans 7. You're experiencing it because your mind, and the devil's just laughing because he's saying you don't even know you're in Christ. You don't even know. You, you're still acting as if you're married to the law. So let that be so. Let that be. Let that, your mind is set on the flesh. Your mind, you're trying, you're struggling as a Christian to do the right thing and do the act the right thing and stop doing the wrong thing. And, and your focus is on all the things that you should do and your focus is on all the things you shouldn't do. And that's just like the law. The law saying do that, don't do that. And you're experiencing this. But then when we come to Romans 8, which I looked at last week with you, it's a totally different principle of the, the law of the Spirit has set you free. There is no more condemna condemnation for you. For, uh, but the, but you, you, walk accord, um, in order, you walk according to the Spirit. You, you read this. It's about the Spirit. Walk according to the Spirit. Set your mind on the things of the Spirit. It's life and peace. You're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. The Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit. This, this is what we talk about when we talk about Galatians and the fruit of the Spirit. And the passions of the Spirit. So, the way to grow and to be free from the law is not to focus on the do's and don'ts. It's the wrong focus. That's the Pharisees. On the outside... It seemed they were doing everything that they should be. They weren't committing adultery. Jesus said, you are in your heart. They weren't thieving. Jesus says, you steal in your heart. They weren't actually murdering people. Jesus says, you murder in your heart. On the outward side, they were praying, and Jesus said, you've already got your, your reward. Why don't you go shut the door and nobody can see what's in your heart but your Father. Everything was external. It was the law. But on the inside, nothing was happening. Don't be like that. Don't look at all the bad stuff that you're doing and all the good stuff you should be doing. Don't do that. Your mind will be set on the flesh. What should you do then? Well, foster the principles. And next week, I'm going to go through the fruit of the Spirit. Foster the principles of patience. Foster the principles of peace. Foster the principles in your life in your responses and, and your reactions of kindness. I'll explain all these things. They're not what they appear to be. They're far more powerful than they are in the English, in the Greek than they are in the English, the Greek original. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, Galatians 5.23, there's no law. You don't need laws, do this, don't do that, when you're patient. You don't need to be told, do this, don't do that, that's wrong, that's right, when you're faithful. You don't need to have a list of do good and don't do, and do, and don't do bad when you are kind, when you are self-controlled, when you are loving and joyful. You don't need a list of to-dos and not-to-dos when you are growing in these fruit. The fruit of the Spirit that we'll look at next week um, is, also, is, is right through the New Testament, for example, James understands the fruit of the Spirit. This is not just a Pauline doctrine. James chapter 3, when he speaks about wisdom from above, chapter 3, verse 13. Is any, who of you is wise? In other words, who is living a wise life? And then he speaks about the flesh and the Spirit. He says, by his good conduct, let him show works in the meekness of wisdom, James 3, 13. But if you have bitter jealousy, isn't that the flesh? Remember, you have a desire for whatever a position because you want to be 
respected or you have a desire for what somebody else has because it will bring you comfort or, you know, all these things. Desire is not wrong in itself, but jealousy is fleshly because that desire is out of control. Selfish ambition in your heart. It's flesh, isn't it? Don't boast. But then he says, wisdom that comes down from above, the, this wisdom, earthly, fleshly, demonic. Uh, where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be every disorder and vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial, sincere. I'm hoping to finish my book on James by the end of this month. So when we talk about wisdom here, wisdom is not like, we say, what do I do next, Lord? I need wisdom. What do I do? What do I don't do? What do I do? What do I say? What do I not say? And God's saying, stop, you're at it again. What? what? You're talking externals all the time. God, I need wisdom. I need to know what to do, when to do it. What? God says, you've you missed it again. So, well, what, what's important is purity. What's important is peaceable, gentleness, open to reason, full of mercy, Good fruits. Yeah, but what am I going to do tomorrow when I have to face that situation? You're going to be like that. You're going to act, you're going to act like that by the power of the Spirit. You're going to focus on those things. The purity, the gentleness. You're going to be like that. And actually, even if God doesn't give you the exact thing to say, that wisdom will get you through. We'll look at that next week. And then finally today, just to show you 1 Corinthians 13, you say, oh yeah, the chapter on love. Well, you can call it the chapter on love. It's the chapter on the fruits of the Spirit to a, a church that was not exhibiting the fruits of the Spirit. The Galatians were exhibiting the flesh. They were fighting and arguing and jealous and ambitious and in all manner of things, trying to get their way by fleshly means. Remember? The desires, the root desires, it's nothing wrong with the body or the desires for impact, for these things. But it was out of control. And uh, 1 Corinthians 13. Hey, if you do, and 1 Corinthians 13 starts with outward acts that mean nothing. If I speak in tongues of men and angels but don't have love, I'm a noisy gong. Oh, you speak in tongues, Jesus isn't interested. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries, and all knowledge, and faith, and remove mountains, but I have love, Jesus is not interested. If I give away all I have, deliver my body to be burned, even die for a cause, but don't have love, Jesus is not interested. He's saying those are outward things. But love is, and now here we go, patient, kind, doesn't envy or boast. Those are the roots of fleshliness. It's not arrogant or rude, doesn't insist on its own way, it's not irritable or resentful. Doesn't rejoice in wrongdoings, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. What do you do? You say, Holy Spirit, I need these things to be manifested in my life. And the nine fruit of the Spirit are not the nine new laws. Oh, must try harder to be patient. Count to ten when that person annoys me. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. That's not a fruit of the Spirit. That's an external device to stop you from flying off the handle. That's law. No, 
you have to, the only way that you can work the fruit of the Spirit is by a relationship with the Holy Spirit in prayer. God, look what's in my heart. God, I feel so jealous. God, I feel so angry. God, I feel so bitter. God, I'm bringing these things to you. I'm bringing these things. I'm giving them to you. Lord, help me. Heal me. Lord, thank God you're not angry and bitter against me. You're interacting. You're saying, God, help me. Will you work in my heart? Lord, I'm bringing myself to you in worship. I'm bringing... You're not worrying about outward situations so much as internal What's going on in the, on your heart? This is the whole deeper with God thing we've been looking at this weekend. You know, slowly but surely, as you focus on the fruit of the Holy Spirit, only He can do it, as we'll see next week, things begin to change. You know, I've got a long way to go, but I tell you something, I'm not the man I was a year ago. You say, can we tell? Well, maybe you might tell or not if you know me, but I know. I know. Because some of these graces, some of these fruit have grown in me. Uh, and even if they haven't grown as much enough for people to see, I'm focusing on them. I'm focusing on them. In a situation that takes place, my immediate reaction is not, what are they doing wrong? But how am I working the fruit? How am I responding? How am I going to work this out in the principles? Help me, Holy Spirit. I'm tempted to hit out in the flesh or do something. I don't want to be like that. Lord, help me grow because the old mindset is strong and this is how we were born and how we lived. And now I'm trying a new path, a new way, a new way, the way of the Spirit. And so my mind gets confused sometimes because it, shouldn't you be impatient with people? Shouldn't you be angry with people? Shouldn't you dominate people? Shouldn't you press your own way because nobody else would do? All these things are the old mindset. But Lord, you're saying if I'm patient and kind and generous hearted, that actually you'll take care of the situation. If, I'm, if, I, if I act like an Isaac, now forget Ishmael, that's um, in Adam. But there's a few Jacobs around. And Isaac is the Old Testament example of the fruit of the Spirit. You read his life. He walks away, he walks away, he trusts God. But Jacob, Jacob is the Old Testament example of the fleshly Christian. Sorry, Jacob. He's there, he's in Christ, but his mind is right there. Right there. Even the promises that were granted to him. The elder shall serve the younger. He grasped with the hands of Esau. It caused him lots of trouble. So next week, we're going to go through some of these principles of the fruit of the Spirit. You'll find they are very, very different to what you read in the English. Gentleness, you think, what is that? That's one of the most powerful things that you can grow in your personality because gentleness is strength under control. And it's usually linked to how you treat people that you're in authority over or that you have power, if I can use that word, over, or, or that, that need you. And therefore, you've got some sort of gentleness, strength under control. It's nothing, about, nothing to do with being a doormat. Strength under control. We'll look at some of these principles next week. Because if you don't know what they are, how can you set your mind on them? How can you see if they're being cultivated, where you make mistakes and where you move forward in the Holy Spirit? And if you've got any friends, why don't you bring them along as well next five o'clock service. God bless you all.